was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It was good. Um, we did meet up with the family, but we all got COVID tested beforehand. And we all sat like separately in our, in our pods. We were masked the entire time until we were eating and you were stationary. Uh, and actually, we just, when we got back, we waited the three to five days and we took a COVID test again when we got back and uh, we found out last night, we're negative. Yay. <laughs> Um, Woohoo, congratulations. Yeah. I mean, I know you and I talked a lot about this about, yeah, it's so hard when, like, you have older family members that you want, like, you don't want to, you know, God forbid something happens and you're a ways away from them and you would never see them again. But at the same time, you also don't want to give it to them. So it sounds like you guys struck a good balance of being close enough to wave from them, wave at them from across the yard and and hold up your new baby and say, hey, grandma, here's your your great granddaughter. And it was it was good. We went because my grandma, she had to have a blood transfusion on Thanksgiving Day. So like even then, it was just like my dad was saying she gets them every couple of weeks and that's just not sustainable. So it probably was the last uh time I that we'll get to see my grandma and she got to meet in quotation marks my my daughter and her great granddaughter uh and at at dinner she gave us a Christmas present to open up early and I opened it up for Helena and it was one of those books where the person can record their voice reading it and it was called like uh oh, wow. something like I love you so much and it's a really sweet story I got through two pages and I was bawling my sisters were bawling. My mom was bawling. It was just like, it was a really sweet gift. So uh, all in all, it was worth it to see my grandma. But how was yours? That's adorable. Uh, mine was good. It was quiet. We made enough food as if we were hosting a feast, even though we were not. Uh, well, <laughs> even though we weren't hosting you know, a huge group. Um, but man, uh, I think we are still eating a variation of turkey soup, uh, turkey <laughs> pizzle right now. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Um that was nice. You know, I watched the parade. I watched football. I have been, the day after, we put up a tree and decorations and things like that. Uh, it's been a quiet year, but in that regard, it's like, it, it's been, I don't know. You've been able, I feel like I've been able to enjoy the smaller things more, uh, which is nice. You know what I mean? Just like the feel of the season. It, it has um, more weight when you're not going out to see. I feel like, all, yeah, all the other stuff, all the decorations and the movies and uh, the music and all that stuff. It's like, it carries more weight when like you can't, you don't have the element of friends and family to like be sharing with in person, you know? So oh, dude, people are leaning into Christmas, Hanukkah, all the holidays right now, way earlier than normal because everyone needs some sort of joy or happiness right now. That's, that's how I felt about Halloween. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, that, that's just, that's, just 2020, uh, I guess, but let's end let's end this year with a bang. I mean, um, well, before we dive in, should we start formally? Yeah, let's do it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Houston, what's up, everyone? Hope everyone is safe and healthy and surviving like we are. Tyler, you doing okay? That's absolutely right. Uh, We hope everyone had a really terrific uh, Thanksgiving week, whether you ate turkey or tofurkey or just hung around and had a good time, or maybe you didn't celebrate Thanksgiving because, you know, you're not in the United States, which is totally fine, too. We hope you had a great last week regardless. Uh, We had a nice week off, as we talked about, uh, gorging ourselves and, um, you know, just enjoying the time however we could, but we're thrilled to be back here with you guys. Um, One exciting thing and kind of crazy thing is we only have one episode left after this i think um isn't that crazy is that right one yeah this is the penultimate episode it feel it feels like this flew by i don't think normally we would do a season back to back obviously we took last week off but usually there's like a couple week break well i don't know that's early on and now the later seasons of american horror story they kind of go straight through starting in like september to december but yeah anyway mm. we're already here <laughs> I know. So obviously, uh, everyone watch out because I imagine that our next week episode, we will kind of follow up with our, you know, look back on how it compares to the other seasons and all those kinds of things, you know, kind of the uh, typical finale uh, recap that we do. But um, crazy that we're already to this point. Uh, that's just how time feels these days, I guess. Yep. Before we really dive into 
Um, the penultimate episode of American Horror Story Murder House. This is, of course, our rewatch season of season one of American Horror Story. Um, the episode we're going to be talking about is called Birth. Um, I want to first go over a couple uh, comments and things that people sent us on Facebook and through email. Uh, we super appreciate that when people do that. You can email us as I always at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. And you can always uh, you know, visit our Facebook and, and kind of be a part of the community at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. So first one I wanted to mention is we had two people, you know, we didn't have a ton of people who were sharing kind of their favorite twists from different seasons, but we did have two people share the same twist, which I thought was great, <laughs> and I can't believe we forgot about this one. Do you know which one I'm talking about? No, what is it? It's the twist from Colt when Allison's pill care, Pills character, Ivy, we end up finding out that she's a part of the... Uh, spoiler, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she she's she's a part of the a uh, the group that's been terrorizing Sarah Paulson's character, and then Sarah Paulson ends up killing her. So that, there was two people that really called that out as being Duh. a great twist. And I do remember thinking that that was a, a good twist. I think. Yeah. Um, how do you? What, what? How is it in your memory? <laughs> yeah. No. That. I know we that was we didn't good. we didn't no, love how that season ended, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't really stick in my head because I've kind of forgotten a lot about Colt. I know how it ends, and I know I remember some of the characters. I remember the death scene, spoiler alert, sorry, of that character. But I forgot about the twist of why, because I, I think they're married by why she why her wife married murdered her, um, and that 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 was big. And that was that was a great scene. It was juicy, and the acting and the way she did it with the poisoning was just awesome. Loved it. Yeah, that was a great one. So thank, thanks to Gavin and to Katie for both sharing that with us. Um, another one actually we got was Jenna on Facebook shared that um, how much she enjoyed uh, Pepper's backstory in Freak Show. You'll remember that mm. obviously we first introduced to Pepper in Asylum, and then we get her the you know her character comes back in Freak Show, and, and we kind of get the build up. That is, I think that is kind of a twist in a way when you see the connection between how she got from Freak Show to how she got to Asylum. Um, so totally agree with that one too. Pretty solid. And finally, Patrick yep, via email had some insight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and finally, Patrick via email had some good insight for us, or he had some thoughts about Tate's headspace. There's a lot of people thinking about where Tate's at right now. Um, you know, we've done a lot of discussion about this and thinking about his motivations. We learned a little bit more about it this episode. But Patrick sent us um, an email that said, you know, he thinks that Tate um, sexually assaulting Vivian is not unlike his fa- Tate's father who was committing rape right before he was murdered with Moira. Um, and, you know, Patrick says, you know, I'm not saying that being a rapist is uh, necessarily genetic, but there's a parallel there, so I think Tate doing that thing isn't something completely out of the blue. And that's a good point. Um, we've talked again, again about, like, you know, whether it's circumstance, whether it's the house, you know, it, and it's still hard to tell. And I think maybe it's it's both. And maybe that's kind of the point they're trying to make is it's in insa- nature versus nurture is inseparable, uh, in some, you know, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, but I thought that was a good, good. It's good a good theory. point. It's interesting. Tate, I mean, I know that Tate is one of your favorite characters because he's so complex and it's hard to figure out what's real, what's manipulative, what's a lie, what's his truth. And in this episode, what does he remember? What does he not remember? Like, truthfully, it's hard. He's so hard to figure out and pinpoint that it makes him fascinating, even though we know he's, like, he is a horrible person. <laughs> but he somehow manages to still make you feel bad for him at certain times, exactly. which I think is where the complexity comes from. So, well, says let's, two white guys. Uh, <laughs> very fair. And that, <laughs> knowing that's a very biased view, and I am sure, totally understand if others don't feel sorry for him whatsoever. Now, let's dive into uh, episode 11, Birth. Um, before we do that, I, it's obviously still pretty early in the day for both of us. What are you drinking today? Anything interesting? <laughs> I have a Baja Blast from Taco Bell. Ooh, you're really a big spender at lunch today. <laughs> That's the only place you can really get it, and it's probably one of my favorite sodas. Um, <laughs> what are you drinking? I'm just drinking uh, afternoon coffee so you know Boring. gotta have those caffeine jitters <laughs> yeah 24 <laughs> i'll step it up next week for the finale there we go i think we'll do cocktails for the finale yeah so 
Um, let's talk about birth. This episode was directed by Alfonso Gomez Rejon, and it was written by Tim Minier. Yeah. So we have some solid American Horror Story veterans on the case in this episode. Uh, we open in 1984. Um, do you want to take us through what happens? Sure, yeah. Um, we get little Tate running around chasing his toy truck, and it goes into the basement. Um, so he follows his truck. The door opens. He goes into the basement. Um, while he's doing this, Constance is, like, passed out, drunk, uh, looks like. And Tate gets attacked by the Infantata. And we actually get, like, a really good shot of the Infantata this time. And But, but Nora's there to save him, to protect him. Uh, and she teaches Tate how to make the ghosts go away, which is you have to tell them, like, go away, leave, uh, very forcefully. And sure enough, the Infantata goes away. And Tate um, kind of hugs Nora and says, you know, I wish you were my mommy, uh, which is interesting and maybe um, teases that connection that why Tate would do what he did later on. Um but then we get a quick cut to the present time, Tate, 2011 Tate, uh, telling Nora that he can't get her that baby anymore, that he had promised her by raping Vivian to, to I assume, to produce that baby to give to Nora. And he can't do it because he says he's in love with Violet and he doesn't want to take Violet's brother away from, from her. Um, and Nora says, like, I'm going to get that baby anyway. And that's it. It's it's a pretty quick quick one this time. It is a pretty quick one. A couple things that I noted. Uh, first of all, just for anyone who's curious, what Constance is watching on the TV at that point in time is Newhart, with uh, starring Bob Newhart. Um, also, <laughs> I was looking into this more closely, and this this scene would have happened about a year after uh, Constance murdered her husband Tate's father and Moira, because mm. uh, that happened in 1983. So. We are probably looking at a, you know, post-murder Constance who is maybe depressed from that whole situation. Clearly, it's something that's impacted her her whole life, um, you know, and, and still, I think we see in her character a lot of uh, repercussions from that interaction, but also, like, how crushing that was on her own psyche and, and her morale in terms of, like, her own vanity and, like, uh, self-esteem and things like that. I think that just was an episode that, that has ended up, you know, we learned has a lasting impact. Um, regarding the Infantata, I agree that that was interesting. We get such a full-bodied shot of Thaddeus. Um, also something that's kind of interesting about Thaddeus is that he is, along with Moira, what do him and Moira have in common? They're the only two spirits that somehow have aged in appearance as spirits, even though they died at a younger age. Everyone else has stayed the same from when they died, which is interesting. That is um, interesting. You know, we've had a lot of theories about Moira, you know, whether her, it has to do with like, you know, what you see on the inside. But, you know, Thaddeus is like a full-sized, I mean, full-sized human in the basement. Um, and so some thoughts there. I'm, I, don't, I don't really know what that means, but I just thought it was an interesting thing. Um, and then finally, you know, I think we're getting kind of teed up for a couple things. Uh, you know, obviously what the season was entirely about in so many ways was birth and death. Uh, but this is like every force in the house wants this baby. And to the point where they're like fighting with each other over the baby throughout the course of this episode. Um, and that tone is set very strongly uh, here in this cold open. That's for sure. Um, before we dig in any further, what are your feelings on Tate's regret? Um, like, you know, we're, we were just kind of talking about this, but do you, I mean, he was interacting with Violet already by the time, you know, he did the deed to Vivian. Well, we could say it, he, that he raped Vivian. Um, but I guess they hadn't interacted as much that he felt like he was fully in love. Or maybe it had something to do with Violet dying and being his forever partner at the house that made him realize that they're like soulmates in his own, you know, Romeo and, Juli you know, Romeo and Juliet, you know, sociopathic fantasy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious what you thought. It's it's hard to, like I mentioned earlier, it's hard to put your finger on Tate. You know, one moment he seems genuinely like he does not remember shooting up his school. And then the next moment he's a menacing rapist 
doing something unforgivable, as Violet tells him at the end of this episode. And he, it's hard. I, it, I, I can't get a good read if he is. I think in moments he's regretful. I think in moments he's regretful, like when Violet is, you know, confronting him finally at the end about all the horrible things he's done to her family um, and the people in the house. Uh, he does feel remorse, but that doesn't, I don't think there's enough that would change how he would act in the future. I think he would still do pretty atrocious things, whether it's because he loves Violet and wants to keep her forever or defend her or protect her, or he wants to do it with someone else. Like before Violet, there was Nora who he didn't you know, want in a sexual way, but he definitely had a relationship to her, even though Nora seems to forget everything too. Um, right. He's got these connections that he, he I mean, he's kind of like a, a impulsive 17 year old <laughs> Uh, which is mm-hmm. what he is. Um, so it's it's hard to it's hard for me to know exactly what his uh, his intentions are with his feelings. I think he's he's hard to predict, but you, his his unpredictability is predictable. Maybe. Uh, yes, I think that's probably the best way to articulate it for sure. Um, so chunking things up a little bit, uh, let's start with talking about you know Ben. Dragging Violet out of the house, you know, at the beginning of this episode, she's trying to prevent him from learning the truth about her death because I think she's so, I mean, that's kind of what she's been worried about is, you mm-hmm. know, them finding out she's dead is going to be a really traumatic thing which, um, and maybe like break, break them in some ways. Exactly, which shows a really interesting growth for Violet as a character because she kind of flip-flopped around too like a teenager would do, like, oh, I love my parents, oh, I hate them, oh, I love them, I hate them. And she's really trying to protect them here, which... It sets off all the wheels in motion for what we're hoping for, all these reconciliations <clears throat> among or yeah, among all the members of the Harmon family. Uh, so it's, 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 it's heartbreaking to see her do this for her parents. When you see a kid trying to protect their parents, that's something that just hits you in the heart. Totally. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's a good point is it shows some maturity in her character, although... I mean, it was just a couple episodes that she was selling her mom down the river, basically. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> she was still figuring herself out at that point in time. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, of course, as we predict, she disappears as soon as the car pulls out. And so the house is having its way. But she was clever enough to pretend she was napping. So that way Ben doesn't figure out what's happening. Um, meanwhile, you know, Violet seems to be relatively well adjusted to her death, in in my opinion. Like she's I feel like she's getting to the point where like she's accepted it. She's more worried about the impact on others like we we're talking about. Um She's also a lot more introspective, I think, than some of the other spirits in the house. She's more worried about, like, keeping up with – she has that conversation with Tate where she's worried about keeping up with the ways of the world over time and, like, what's going to happen to us and things like that, where I feel like all the other spirits are like, I need a baby or I need to be in love. You know, they they have, like, much more – Short-term goals. Base-level needs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's she's thinking about the future to some some degree. So that's interesting. She's existential. They are – on the yeah foundational basics and it really kind of paints tate a little bit more as like you know his his kind of waxing long on you know how important love is and it mattering most it makes it seem really immature in a lot of ways that like he he's so hyper focused on you know their relationship and stuff that he's like he's not really seeing the impact on the world and, and all these other aspects of it and um it does kind of make, I don't know, it, it exposes him a little bit in my mind that he's like a little bit emotionally stunted in some ways, um, which is, I, I think, is an interesting insight also. Um, we also get some, uh, we get quite a bit of Chad and Patrick coming back in this episode, which I had forgotten about from the original uh, watch of the season. Me too. You know, they're putting together the baby room. Um and they're actually happy here for a minute because they're excited that they're finally getting their baby. Like, uh, apparently they've somehow made up between, you know, Halloween and now, whenever this time is. Um, and they're going to take both twins as their own. Um, and so basically Tate and Violet decide that they're going to push back against them. Tate just because he wants to do, you know, good things for Violet. Um, Violet, again, because she cares about her parents and is trying to step up. Uh, but as, as I kind of said before, I feel like the house's tendencies were really surfacing at this point in time. When we see, first it starts with Nora saying, that baby's mine. Then all of a sudden, Chad and Patrick are back together putting that, you know, cradle and saying, baby's going to be mine. Of course, later we see Hayden even showing up and being like, that baby's mine. And so the house wants the baby, right? Yep. And I think it's like, it's like firing up all its like, 
you know, potential levers to go to go extract it in whatever way possible, even if they happen to fight amongst themselves. Um, Violet has a scene in which she calls Constance to come visit because she's worried about Chad and Patrick and basically wants access to Billy Dean to exercise the house. Um, and there's a scene here where, where you know, Constance decides she's going to try to go confront them herself. And she goes up to the crib. And there's a, there's a number of great things I like about this scene. Um, one thing is she kind of implies that the cribs belong to her children, which I think is interesting. Because I, I kind of felt like the way she was fawning over them and kind of asking where they came from, that it was kind of implying like, oh, maybe this was her, you know, maybe it was Tate's cradle. Maybe it was Addie's cradle that were in storage somewhere in the house. Um, also, I mean, it's very fitting that Constance's problem with them as as being them being parents is not that they're dead, but that they're gay. <laughs> yeah, that's her problem. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's unnatural or whatever she says. Yeah, we also get a little bit of Ryan Murphy style social commentary about gay parents in here uh, from from Chad's mouth. I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did think that this back and forth between um, Constance and Chad was. Really great. I thought they had some excellent repartee between the two of them. The dialogue was really strong. Yep, I agree. These are two great actors, and they they do well together, especially when they're just like they're like silver tongues. It's real perfect. Yeah, and I don't think we've we had too much of Zachary Quinto and uh, Jessica Lang paired together before, um, you know, this particular episode. But obviously, we see a lot of them together in. You know, season two when we have Sister Jude and Doctor Threadson, and so maybe this is kind of where right. the show was like, "Oh, we've got some chemistry here. We need to exploit in the next season." Um, this is, of course, also the scene where Constance accidentally reveals that Tate is the father of Vivian's baby, which is kind of the mm-hmm. beginning of the end for Tate and Violet's relationship, right? Um, uh, Chad also had a great line here where he talks about how they're going. He's like, "Oh, we're not going to keep the babies alive. We're going to smother them with hypoallergenic." pillow so they'll be cute forever it's kind of it reminded me of kind of the way that people there's like some genetically engineered dog breeds where people like try to make it look like a puppy forever that's kind of what i was thinking about this yeah that's that's i I, yeah i don't know i think part of having kids fun it's fun to see the kid grow up and like hit all their milestones so you know also he said like one to one and a half um i i don't know if that's like the best age (laughs) a lot of poopy diapers to change still (laughs) are are babies sleeping through the night at that point i'm depending but they're supposed to be yeah (laughs) maybe that's just another sign that they were never really ready to be parents in the first place yeah yeah you would think he would have read all the books at this point but um yeah it's a it yeah anyway (laughs) <laughs> so Constance does call Billy um, This is our first time seeing Billy Dean Howard in the murder house uh, I think all up until now she's been In Constance's kitchen, right? So we get kind of her first Impression of like all the ESP uh, That's in the house um, She's able to tell Right away that Violet's dead and it's interestingly Is able to like talk to her You know, telepathically through, or, you know or, Telepathically yeah. Exactly Um, um and she t- talks about, yeah, the only way to rid the house is, is through this paramagnetic force. Um, a couple interesting things here. First of all, she talks about, like, these... She, basically, she talks about the origin of these hellmouths, which we, we... In Apocalypse, we we get the real name for them. But she talks about, like, these places where these psychic events released... Or, you know, basically, like, really traumatic things happen in the environment where it gets, like, absorbed by the ether of the world. And that's where it, um, she, she uses uh, examples like prisons or asylums and you know fitting that this is probably ding. our our hint for season two's theme um she also tells the story of roanoke which we are, we get in a later season two and of course the supposedly um you know powerful magical spirit banishing phrase croatoan uh, we see, obviously, later how effective that is. One thing that does happen, though, is that Tate tries to come and help. Um, he hears what's going on, and Billy immediately says, like, he can't be here. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts were on why Billy, like, with all the spirits in the house, why is Tate the one that, like, Billy, like, casts away? I, I, I was thinking that, too. I assumed because he is so evil <laughs> and all the things he's done that 
his mother knows about, um, that his presence just shifts the power of evil energy when she's trying to connect with Chad and Patrick, I think. Um, her His presence just ruins that. Uh, so he, he's got to go. It's too heavy. Right. What did you think? I agree with that. I think when we think about all the spirits that we know of who are dead in the house, um, certainly you have some bad people, you know, like the people who are trying to kidnap and murder Vivian and Violet at the beginning of the season. But Tate is the one who has done the most heinous and evil violent acts. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're talking about like the world or like, you know, these acts being like a physical manifestation that like gets absorbed into the world, you know, then he would, as you say, have like such an aura of that, that it would be a lot more powerful than a lot of the other spirits in the house and probably a lot of other people, you know, more than most other people anywhere. Um, and so you're right. I think that there's some interesting insight there about like the, the gravity of, of the things he did and also probably like why the house chose him to be the one to be the father of the antichrist kind of, you know what I mean? Right. And that sort of thing is he's got a power that even, you know, we have a lot of other despicable people that still live in that house, but none are as, as, you know, as evil as him in that way. Right. Right. Yeah. As Violet says in the end, you know, he's caused most of the harm in that house. So that's Mm -hmm. not surprising that he would be the conduit of evil to reenter the world. Exactly. Um, so Tate and Violet decide that they need to steal these talismans from Chad and Patrick to conduct the whole Croatoan uh, ceremony. Um, so we get this scene with Tate and Patrick, which uh, it doesn't quite have the power of the scene between Chad and Constance. Um, I mean, you know, Tate goes in there thinking he's going to, I guess, seduce Patrick and slip the ring off in the midst of it. And he does end up getting the ring off somehow, but probably because it got stuck in his teeth after Patrick beats the crap out of him. Yeah, he got it. Uh, Which it was nice to see that just because we saw it also interesting because didn't Tate whoop uh, Patrick's ass like when he had the, the when they were when he on? was a human still. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe when they're both spirits, they're a little bit more evenly matched, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was I saw that uh, there's sort of a parallel too. do you remember when um, it was early on, I think when they first meet Chad and Patrick that uh, Patrick tries to seduce. Dr. Harmon, Ben, in the bathroom. And so, right. and that we also, that's where we kind of get the, that we know that Patrick's kind of a sex addict or whatever. And you, like, I thought this was going to work. I forgot what happened in this scene. I was like, oh God, here we go again. Uh, but it was, it was a fun uh, play on the previous scene. I thought of what we, and what we expected to happen and then what actually happened. Well, and we get a little bit of additional background here too that blows up their whole getting babies plan because Patrick reveals that he was in love with somebody else. And that's why his death was all the more devastating as he was going to leave Chad for someone else he actually loved. Do you of course, Chad was, overhears this. Do you think it was Jungle Jim or whatever Jungle, <laughs> or whatever his name was? Anyway. Uh, I, I mean, you know, Maybe. I don't feel like I know enough about Jungle Jim to tell whether or not he would be a, yeah. <laughs> a really like a reliable partner in that way. But, you know, maybe he is. <laughs> Either way, pa- Patrick has um, horrible timing of saying that because like you're saying, Chad's at the door. Chad's at the door, and it doesn't matter anymore because they don't want, you know, he doesn't want the baby. But, of course, you know, Vivian and Tate, or Violet and Tate don't realize that what, where things are going in that dynamic. Um, meanwhile, so there's going to be a little bit of bouncing back and forth here. Meanwhile, back at the hospital, Ben is explaining to Vivian why Violet couldn't visit, that she escaped, and, you know, she's been holed up in a room, all this and that, you know. Uh, the doctor comes in and basically says that he has, advises complete bed rest, and it's like expects Vivian to be on the brink of an emergency C-section at any point in time because one baby is growing way faster than the other. And uh, the phenomenon is called like intrauterine omophagia um, in which nutrients of like one nutrients of the alpha fetus are being devoured by like, you know, the beta fetus, I guess you would call it. Uh, or sorry, other way around. The alpha fetus is feeding on the beta fetus, or, you know, taking all the nutrients away from the the, the smaller fetus. Um, I'd be curious to see some stats on how often this happens when you have like that bizarre phenomenon with, you know, two babies from different fathers plus this happening. I'm sure it's a very small percent. Yeah, I feel like there's zero uh, <laughs> examples. I mean, I don't know. There might be. 
I mean, it, they would have different placentas, I would assume. So I, it doesn't make sense if that's actual possible. Like identical twins, maybe, but not fraternal twins. I guess I feel are like they we need to consult. Because they're not even. No, it's just two different babies. It's two different babies. It's not even fraternal twins because they're not from the same father. So they're, I yeah, I, I guess you could call them twins in the sense that like they're they're like half twins, which is bizarre. Yeah, they're they're uter they're uterine neighbors. <laughs> I feel like we need to consult an OBGYN. Maybe if someone's listening, they can weigh in on this with some of the the details yeah. as to how realistic this is. Um, but point being. You know, Vivian's on the brink of having a baby. One is a lot healthier than the other. She wants to go to Florida um, to get away from the house to be with her aunt, I think it is. Um, they're just planning her to grab sister. their things and go. Her, oh, it's her sister. Okay. But, of course, the return to the house, um, something about coming back to the house after she's been away, like we saw it on the murder house tour, how it like all of a sudden she started bleeding and had to run inside. It, yep. Being at the it, house like, yep. has an effect on the gestation of that baby. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so as soon as she gets there, she, like, immediately goes into labor just as Ben goes in to try to pull, pull Violet out. Um, and, of course, Ben, ben interrupts the, the ceremony Violet and Tate are about to perform, so we don't get to see what happens until a little bit later on. Um, but in this crazy sequence, Violet finally tries to tell Ben that she's dead. And kind of as she expected, he just can't, he can't comprehend it. Process. And, you know, he, I mean, as much as he's seen... You know, maybe it's because he's so, you know, maybe it has to do with his background as a, in psychiatry that he's like been this physician for so long and like is dealing with people's hallucinations and visions of things that he, he can't acknowledge kind of the paranormal. Um, even though there's been so much evidence of it this season, considering he's seen Hayden and everything like that up until now. Yeah. But, you know, he, he's not ready to take it on yet. Um, Constance, of course, appears uh, to help Vivian into the house. Um of course. And basically help be, not not the midwife necessarily, but to be kind of there and uh, ushering things in. We actually get a, a very different crew um, in the actual birthing room. Because, uh, you know, the house is doing all it can to obviously have the baby born here right now. You know, it's having the kids smash the car outside, the two redheads. Yep. It's, um, you know, Ben, all the phone lines are dead, so the house is making sure that that's not working. And on a, this scene is very creepy, but also like very well done. The scene with like all the lights off, there's candles lit. We get, you know, Charles Montgomery's there to help. Um, we get the two nurses who were murdered by, uh, I'm trying to remember his name now, but we know the scene from earlier in the season. Um, I was just trying all, to remember. Like, it, I, can't, I can't remember who killed the nurses. <laughs> it was the dude. Yeah, but... the guy who showed up, the guy who showed up the front door with the, the head wound, the fake head wound. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like the creatures of the house are all working in tandem now to give birth to the Antichrist. It, the house is has summoned almost all of the ghosts to make sure that this baby is delivered. And I thought that this birth scene was very excellent. Um, we always compliment Alfonso Gomez Rajon on, on like being a good director, um, and I think the cinematographer gets some some compliments here too. But like everything, I, I mean, the music, the lighting, the way the camera, you know, was spun around the bed and, like, some of the overhead views and different things. Um, also, the way it was, like, interspliced with both Ben's subconscious at first, where he's, like, screaming alone in a room while, mm -hmm. you know, he has a very, you know, that's what he's doing in his mind, but on outwards, he has this very flat tone about, it's okay, keep putting, you know what I mean? Um, almost like he's possessed. That, that... Right, yeah, it's interesting because, like, like, everything's happening in Ben's world. Like, his daughter just told him she was dead, the ghosts are showing up with their wounds. His wife is giving birth, and it, it's just all happening at once, so it's a lot for him to process. And the one thing, and um, Constance tells him to do this, but it's like, go focus on your wife, just focus on her. So he's, like, internally he's screaming and freaking out about all this stuff, but he knows that he has to, especially because we know that they've reconciled their relationship. For the most part, they say a few more words, you know, after the baby's born, but or during while the birth. But, um, but yeah, he's like... He has to, otherwise he's losing his mind too. Yeah. And we get a also a flashback of when Violet was born too, which I mean I love it's it's the juxtaposition. Yeah, it's like it I was gonna say it's like that's a, such a sweet moment and definitely like seeing how this baby comes is man, you, it's it's a metaphor for how far like where their family has gone since that probably like really hopeful and positive day and in that way it's really sad and 
Well, oh, yeah, even, yeah, like such an ugly scene to a very happy scene. Yeah, even the the contrast between the Violet birth scenes where it's like lit up like intensely light. Like honestly, from what I know, from my experience, like if you had bright lights and you were delivering that that bright, that's awful. Like we had very dimmed lights, <laughs> but um, but because Sarah wanted that, but. Um, but the, the, the contrast between and then the candlelit darkness of what's happening with Vivian presently is interesting. Um, and then the happiness that's in Violet's and then the fear and the death that's surrounding Vivian's birth of the twins is just totally different. But um, also shows kind of how tragic their story is, how positive it, it started with Violet and where they ended up is just awful and heartbreaking. Right. Yeah, it is. And it's a really powerful scene, I think. Um, you know, the first twin comes out stillborn. At least they say so. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think it is. And so what's your understanding of what happens here? It looks like that Montgomery passes off the stillborn baby to Nora so she can have a forever a forever baby um, is, is, you know, my thought here. Is it is that like the baby that's going right. to satisfy Nora? That's that's what I'm assuming is was the goal, and yeah, we we don't know if the baby's stillborn. Um, we know that um, we know that Con- or Vivian is six months pregnant. She tells us that early on. So, if the baby is stillborn, then I'm assuming it will remain in its six month state, uh, and Nora's just going to take care of it, unless it's one of the ones that age the ghosts that age. Um, but that's also saying assuming that the baby died while Vivian was on the premise of the ha- uh, the, the house's property. Um, but the goal right. was to get Nora a, a baby, and I think that's the one that makes the most sense, or that's the first one. Or So anyway, that's my assumption. I think we'll find out more next and I think, episode. I think so too, and I think we do get more background on this in Apocalypse when we re- revisit the murder house. I need to go either rewatch or kind of reread the um, recap of that episode to remember exactly what happened to that child, because um, I feel like we, we get a little bit of insight there. Um, but uh, then, of course, we have Michael born. Um, Constance immediately assumes the role of basically mother figure after the court is cut, and that's foreshadowing of, of where we know things are going there. Um, and very quickly, you know, Montgomery doesn't seem capable of stopping Vivian's bleeding. Um, and, you know, she's kind of on her last legs as Constance and Moira kind of fawn over Michael in the nursery. And that's also when, when Hayden comes in to collect the baby, too. Um, but you, it, we have are an we, interesting scene where, like, oh, go ahead. That was a question. Are we supposed to assume i mean it's implied maybe that the baby that didn't survive was the one that was ben's and the baby that did survive was tate's did they implicitly or explicitly say that or we just kind of assume i don't think they explicitly say that i think it's implied yeah okay i think it's implied um now, you know, uh, we have this interesting scene where, like, Ben is begging Vivian to, like, hang on and, and hang on for life while Violet's, like, basically doing the opposite and begging her to let go come and come be with life. her yeah. in death, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is kind of disturbing when you think about it. That was weird. Yeah. My question for you is, do you think that Vivian died due to Montgomery's incompetence and, like, not having a, like, sanitary, you know, competent doctors? Or is it just, like, Michael's birth was just, like, so violent and early that it was, it, you know, it was just her body was unable to cope with it? I, That's a good question because um, you could be either because we know Dr. Montgomery's not well in the head, uh, you know, as well. Um Vivian does say, like, it's ripping me apart when she's delivering the second child. So I think that baby was just, like, not meant to be born from a human who could survive it, possibly. Um, That being said, I don't know if a 1920s doctor... Well, I mean, they've got the tools to help fix someone if they're bleeding, but so many women died in childbirth in the 20s because of bleeding or, um, you know... Uh, operation complications uh, during childbirth. So that that's part of his science degree or his medical degree isn't probably up to snuff for 2011 with the techniques that are available in modern medicine. 
Right. But my question totally. for you is, do you think that the house wanted Vivian to die or did it not care? And it got its baby. Do you think it wanted to keep Vivian too? Probably, probably because if Vivian lived, I mean, if Vivian and Ben lived, they could take take the baby and leave, right? And so by claiming everybody, then, you know, mm-hmm. they, they're looking for, the house is looking for a servant that's going to keep the baby there, right? And that servant happens to be, you know, we learn later, Constance. And so I, I, do, I agree with you. I do think that the house probably didn't want Vivian to survive the birth after she was a vessel, you know, that was it. Um, no. So, so Vivian, we, we learn does end up passing in this episode. Um, and it, you know, this is kind of our finale here is, you know, Violet's attempt to basically eradicate Chad with Croton curse. Uh, it doesn't work whatsoever. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it falls flat. He like just basically says it's like mumbo jumbo. Um, doesn't have any effect, old wives' tale type stuff. Um, and, but he doesn't really care anymore because he doesn't want to have the baby. And that's when he reveals not only that Tate murdered both him and Patrick, but that uh, he also raped Vivian and that the baby is his. And so that is um, really powerful news, obviously, for Violet. Of course, we already knew this, but this is you know her first... Um, knowledge of this like of what Tate did and it completely changes their dynamic and everything um, Violet confronts Tate with the news about the death and, and again about his own death too you know about the violence he committed um, and his bad choices none of which he is able to answer for other than saying he was different then but like we kind of said you know enough enough time hasn't passed for us to, to, to know that he really has been different and I think that Violet's line here that she says you know Tate you are the darkness really embodies what we were talking about earlier in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she, she says she'll grant him that she's like, I, I, I grant that you've, you know, my, my influence has changed you and I do love you, but I can't ever forgive you. And then funny enough, you know, what's kind of funny is we get another juxtaposition here where she, while Croatoan didn't work, what does work is closing your eyes and telling him to go away. And so he does. Which is really interesting because that's what Nora taught Tate and Tate taught Violet and Violet now flips it and uses it on Tate. It's real, mm-hmm. real uh, nice uh, circle there. Yeah, it's a nice tie on the end of the episode. And then, of course, Vivian is there in Death the Comforter. And that's, as a viewer, it's when we're supposed to realize, oh, Vivian did die after all. And that was shot beautifully with the camera again spinning around and noticing that Violet's by herself and then coming around on her face and all of a sudden Vivian is on her shoulder saying, you know, but I didn't lose my baby. And that, it was a, it's a sweet moment. It's a really sweet moment. That is a sweet moment. That is. Those were some good lines to end it. Uh, so all that being said, uh, you know, give me your review and your rating. Yeah. It, so this was a pretty, you know, it's a it's a dark episode. Uh, it's very emotional. Um, I think it loses a little bit of weight because of the American Horror Story silliness that that often the show uses, but way worse later on in seasons. But for American Horror Story, it still rings true as a pretty emotional episode. Um, the mother scene with the after the go away scene, I just think, really hammers the the familial relationship, kind of tying itself back together with the Harmon unit. Obviously, we still don't have Ben involved there, and it's to be seen how Ben's going to handle the fact that his family's dead. Um, but I like I like seeing Violet and Constance or uh, Vivian kind of come together again. I don't think again women are treated pretty horribly in this show, <laughs> and I don't think that's a choice by Ryan Murphy. I think it's just kind of oh they write the script out and not maybe think that through. It just seems that Violet and Vivian have gone through. A, pretty terrible things and Ben hasn't had to go through the other thing. I mean, he's gone through some stuff too, but anyway. Um, so it, it's a dark episode, but emotional and good. Um, I don't know what the purpose of Billy Dean showing back up and the, and Patrick and Chad were for this episode with the extent of, to the extent of all they did was ultimately Chad tells Violet the truth about Tate um, it was kind of a long, long roundabout way to, um, you know, get that information to Violet. 
that being said, it's, you know, I like those characters, so I'm happy to see them, but it didn't seem like it mattered as much to see them all again. Besides throwing another couple throwing their hat in the ring to steal these babies that everyone in the house apparently wants. Um, so that was, you know, it was good to see them, but story-wise, it didn't make a ton of sense. Um, I don't know if I had one more. It was a bummer that we didn't see Moira till the end. I assumed that we would have. I'm surprised that she didn't get summoned by the house, um, just because she's she's Violet or Vivian's confidant or friend in the house. So she would have been a good person to have there. But maybe that would have taken away from Ben being there and being the one, you know, person to help. Um, it, you just reminded me also uh, um, that Constance was actually acting as the. Uh, doula for uh, <laughs> for Vivian. Uh, anyway, I really liked this episode, though. I thought it was good. Um, and you really get to see what eternity is supposed to look like for each of the characters or a lot of our characters, and that's a big question because eternity is what our main characters, some of them, are going to be stuck with. Um, all in all, I would give this episode four and a quarter. Um rubber man suits I, I liked it a lot I thought it was really good uh, what did you think I thought this was a really strong episode we already talked about the way that it had a narrative that started and stopped in like a, a tidy way which is something that almost never happens in American Summer Story especially in future seasons so I thought that was really well done um, I think that the scene the birth scene for my money, might be one of the creepiest American horror scenes we, you know, American horror story scenes we get in any season. Um, you know, just because we talked about the like school shooting scene being exploitative, this isn't exploitative. It's just dark and creepy. Um, there's a lot of emotion, in, you know, impacted by it. Um, and sometimes they use kind of like a playful music, like a kids' music or something, to kind of set a creepy scene. There wasn't even any of that. There was like the music was kind of sinister. It was. It was more classic horror in that way, but it was very well done, and I think that scene is terrific. Um, I think that in terms of kind of the bring back of Chad and Patrick and also of Billy Dean Howard, um, I think you're right in saying that probably Chad and Patrick was ultimately like, obviously you can write it off to the house coming, coming up with, you know, pushing everybody to go get the baby, but I think also it was kind of their device to deliver that final you know piece of news to Violet, although, but you know, hypothetically, that could have been any dozen of you know any of a dozen characters who told like her that. Hayden could have just um, said it to her, right? Totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the part about um, Billy Dean Howard, you know, well, so part of me thinks also like you know, Ryan Murphy and, and Brad Falchuk are like you know, we love Zachary Quinto, we love yeah. Sarah Paulson. We need to get a little, we need to get a touch more of them in the show. Yeah. Um, I do think maybe they're trying to say, you know, maybe I'm reading too deep into this, but maybe there is something more to, you know, the fact that Billy Dean, the expert on ghost reading, comes and gives this whole spiel about, you know, the power of like these magic words like Croatoan and the effect they can have. And the fact that they don't work and it kind of falls short says something about, I don't know, um, you can you can draw it out to like a more metaphorical conceptual level and be like, maybe it's something about how like, Traumas from the past it can't just be like magically whisked away. You know what I mean? Um, those things, you know, just like Tate's aura, they carry weight in the universe. And, you know, um, you can close your eyes and tell them to go away for a bit, but they're still there at the end of the day. You're not banishing them from this world by any means. And they're going to be lingering in the back of your mind or lingering in the basement of your house for the rest of eternity. So... Yep. You know, maybe there's some other other value going on there. But, uh, man, I, I think this, yeah, this was a great episode. I think we got a lot of um, good character trajectories. It's definitely tragic for Vivian and Violet. Uh, I don't remember entirely everything that happens in the final episode, so I'm very excited for that. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to give this four and a half because I think it was a, it, it's a really solid tee-up to the final episode of the season. Definitely. It's really good. One awesome. more thing I thought of, um, just kind of in general reflections on American Horror Story. Um, you know, we like when you're painting the rules of a universe for ghosts and supernatural things. Um, it can get if if it's too simple, it could be boring, and that, and then people would kind of just like you know be like discard the show and be like yeah it was fine and all the rules make sense but it was too simple even though it could be a really well crafted story um, 
but because American Horror Story throws so much stuff against the wall to see what sticks, and a lot of things don't make sense, in the back of your mind, you're like, well, there could be ways to like tie this together and make this work. So it gives you just enough of the simple answers by throwing a lot of other shit out there that just doesn't make sense at face value. But in your mind, you're like, it could make sense if someone really thinks this out. I don't think they do that for the show. But, it, but you know, a lot, often complaints that we have is like, well, why is that ghost doing that? And that ghost can't do that. And this ghost can remember this, but that one can't. Uh, it's because of those questions that they just leave out there and don't plan to ever answer probably that it's like, well, it's interesting still because this is all unexplained. And you hope that they will eventually you know do that. But we know they won't. You know what's funny is that reminds me of, you know, I don't even remember exactly what it's called, but, you know, I took a, like a, I was an English major as an undergraduate and I took like, you know, literary theory classes. And there is one approach to like reading, you know, books and reading any kind of work, um, whether, you know, poetry, whatever, that what you interpret from the work, it doesn't have to be intended by the author. That's like once it, once it's out in the world, it's completely separated from whoever wrote it and it's open to the interpret. like the reader can draw all the connective, you know, connective lines. And like so that. that's how sometimes American Horror Story feels, I think, is, you know, even though maybe there's things that in the actual writing of this show, maybe they just didn't think through or were kind of loose ends or things like that. That doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, actual actual connective tissue there and things that, you know, we can, we can derive value out of, um, because, you know, maybe they were subconsciously there in the author's part, or maybe that doesn't even matter if they mean something to us and we can find some connections in it. I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting approach. Yep. So that's an eight and three quarters rating. That's a really solid episode. I'm excited to go into the season finale next week with that in hand. Um, so everyone, thanks so much, and, and please join us next week for, um, yeah, for the season finale of Murder House. Chris, where can people find you between now and then? I am on Twitter and on Instagram at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. How about you, Tyler? I am on the same at TJMoss11. We hope you all have a really fantastic week and enjoy this uh, early December days. Stay safe, stay healthy, and until then, happy hauntings.